Well, good morning, church. Uh, it's great to be with you today, and we're going to start a brand new uh, series today. And if there's something you want to know how to do, uh, you can just Google it, right? In fact, there are hundreds, uh, thousands of tutorials and videos online. You can go on YouTube, and you can find a link to fix any appliance uh, in your house, right? You can find a link on how to speak Spanish to your cousin or how to refinance your home or how to build a house all by yourself. In fact, there, there is a link on Google dedicated to how-tos called WikiHow, right? And you can find a WikiHow about anything, how to listen to music, how to break up a wedding, if that's your goal, right? How to walk. There are videos on how to walk. And the internet, is great at teaching us how to do something, but it is actually very, very, very poor at, at teaching us how to be uh, something. And, and if you want to know how to be, quite honestly, you need to go to your maker, to your heavenly father, uh, not online. And, and here's the question that we're kind of dealing with in this series is why is there such a disconnect between doing and being? And why is the world, and even the church, quite honestly, so good at the do part of it and so poor at the other part of it, the be part of it? Even in discipleship, the church, quite honestly, is very good at the do, right? Do these things or don't do these things, but sometimes we're not altogether as competent and as great on how to be. And I think this comes down to emotions, because being is tied to our emotions, and emotions are very hard, right? They're hard to define. They're hard to control. They're hard to deal with. And, and, and when we think of emotions, usually we think of uh, one, one of two ways, right? We think of it in, in the uh, form of a two-way street, that, that you're either over-emotional or you're unemotional, right? That, that, that you're either controlled by your emotions and every action is defined by your emotions, or you are so in control that you never even listen to or acknowledge your emotions at, at all. And, and I want to declare today that going to either extreme in, in this two-way street leads to a critical disconnect, not, not just with others, but with God, but because God made you. And he made you to have emotions. Now, he didn't make you to be led by them. He didn't make you to be controlled by your emotions. But he didn't make you to push them down and, and repress them either. And, and believing that you have to be either over-emotional or unemotional is really saying at its core that emotions are bad. And they can't be bad, right? Because God created them. In fact, what are emotions anyway? Well, I, I don't know for sure, honestly. See, well, why are you on stage? I, I don't know. But, but, but the, I, I would say they're feelings, okay? And I'll just confess to you on the front end. I, I'm not, this is not my strength, okay? And, and in fact, uh, often when people cry, I just leave. Uh, and, and so I'm just confessing to you on the front end of this that I'm preaching to myself. I don't know if you do that. I don't know if you ever do that. I do that all the time. I don't know if you sing to yourself. In the songs, I was just singing, uh, I, I need nothing else but you. And in my heart, I'm saying, that's not true, God. I, I, there are all kinds of things that I feel like I need, uh, not just you. And, and so I'm preaching to myself when I'm singing that lyric of nothing else, nothing else will do, because that's not always true even in, in my heart. And so what, what are emotions? They're feelings right? Okay, well then, well, what are feelings? Well, they're your senses, right? That you see and you hear and you taste and you smell and you touch. And all of those things, they go into your body and into your brain. And then your emotions are what you use to interpret those senses that creates an act or an outward behavior. Okay, let me, let me illustrate it this way. That you see red lights in front of you on the highway, right? Lindley's learning to drive, and, and she's not sure what those red lights mean on, on the highway. But, but when you see red lights on the highway in front of you, your, your eyes send a response to your brain, and then your brain uses an emotion, fear, right? Your, your brain uses the emotion fear that I'm going to crash or I'm going to run into somebody to create an action of where now you slam on, on the brakes, right? Or, or how about this? You hear your wife say, hey, babe, and your, your ears tell your brain something that your emotions now interpret it, right? And, and, and all of a sudden you think that was an invitation. And, and, and 
so, so these invitations are not good or bad, right? They're not good or bad. But you can, listen, here's the point. You can overreact to something, and you can underreact to, to something. It's so important for us to know how our emotions work because our emotions will drive us to be in life, how to be a follower of God, how to be a man or a woman of God, how to be a good husband or a good wife, or how to be a positive person, right? And if you want to be the right thing, then we've got to have healthy emotions. We have to have them, right? But, but if we only focus on the do in life and not the be in life, then we may end up living a half-life as only part-time disciples of Jesus Christ. And emotions are not just important because God made us to be emotional. God himself is emotional, right? All over the scriptures, you see this, all over the scriptures. In Romans one, we see his anger, right? God shows his anger from heaven against sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Over in Exodus, he's jealous, right? You must worship no other God, for the Lord is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. In Zephaniah, we see that he's full of joy, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. That, that's a word that somebody in here needed to hear today, that he is rejoicing over you in heaven, singing uh, joyful songs over you, right? All, all through the Psalms, uh, we, we see that the Lord is compassionate and is loving. Uh, Psalm 145 says, the Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. So if God is full of emotions, then emotions must be a godly thing, right? Shake your head this way. That's a good conclusion. If God is full of emotions, then emotions must be a godly thing, right? Now, if emotions are a godly thing, then, then why can they be done in such an ungodly way? Because all of us would agree they can be done in an ungodly way. And, and so it's so, so important to know the difference. And, and we're going to look at some of the primary emotions over the next couple of weeks in, in this series during this month. But we're going to see what the Bible teaches us, and we're going to see how it is that God wants us to feel uh, these things. And we're going to really talk about how to be. And today I want to start with an emotion that uh, you and I have felt a lot, quite honestly. And it's one of the primary emotions, and I think it is unavoidable, but it's one we don't talk a lot about. And uh, today what I want to talk about is how to be sad. And aren't you glad you came today, right? It's going to be very helpful to you, actually. I believe with all of my heart it's going to be very, very helpful. And maybe the one very big reason uh, that we don't talk about this is because we're afraid. That we don't like being sad because we're afraid of being sad. And when someone else is sad, we're afraid they're going to make us sad. And so what do we do in that moment? We try to cheer them up, right? What we're doing is trying to make it so that they're not sad anymore because we don't like being sad. But, but this is revolutionary, and you could write it down. Sadness is a part of life. It's a part of life. And there are reasons, lots of them, to be sad. You, you can be sad that your team lost, right? You could be sad that your package hasn't arrived yet. You, you, you didn't get the call back from that employer. You, you didn't get the text back from that guy or that girl, right? You, uh, you lost a job or you lost a relationship. There are lots of reasons that make us sad. And quite honestly, it's appropriate. And, and not only is it appropriate, it's good, right? So you can be sad over little things and you can be sad over big things. Now, the biggest reason I found in, in my life to be sad is over loss, right? The, the loss of a loved one. When, when you lose a loved one, sadness is a part of life. And it is part of the cycle of life. Sadness was created by God as an emotion to help us get through the parts of our lives that are very difficult to get through, to remind us that there are better times ahead, to give us a chance to recoup dur during bad times, and to prove to us that there is a very bright future, right? It's all part of the pattern. And as, as we talk about this pattern, there's a passage over in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Now, I think going to the Old Testament in this series is going to be helpful. We're going to be in both the old and the new, but, but there's one of the books in the Old Testament, there's a whole section of them called the wisdom literature. And when we really want to seek wisdom, we go to the wisdom literature and Ecclesiastes is part of the wisdom literature. And look at what it says. Sorrow is better than laughter. That'll blow your mind, won't it? Sorrow is better than laughter for sadness has a refining influence 
on us. Literally what this verse says is that it's good for the heart, sadness. Sadness is good for you. It can refine you. It can make you better. Re- refine means what? To purify. It, it, it means to you know burn off or, or remove all of the bad stuff and leave you with only the good. And so when we're sad, according to this verse of Scripture, the Bible says that God is working. He's working to make us better. When we're put under pressure or through the heat, good stuff can happen. There's a reason to be hopeful, right? That's why James and Peter in the New Testament can tell us that we should rejoice when bad stuff happens, stuff that makes us sad. Why? Because it's producing something good on the inside of us. Now, now why do we get sad? Lots of reasons to be sad. I'm going to give you three today, okay? I've I've tried to summarize and give you three generic reasons uh, in the world to be sad, and, and I want you to think of them as boxes. Okay, so kind of visualize a a, a box, and and these are three boxes that cause us to uh, be sad. And and, and the first one uh, is the box of sin, right? That, That theologically we know this to be true, that we are sad when we are sinned against, right? Right? Sin into the world and creates a lot of sadness. But we should also, according to the scripture, be sad over our own sin, right? J- James chapter 4, let me show you uh, this passage. I- I've been in James 4 hundreds of times with you, but look at this one. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. The, the-, the whole context of that is over your own sin. But, but when something bad happens, It may be sin, it may not, right? Just because something bad happens doesn't mean that somebody was sinful in in that moment. Bad stuff happens in a sin-filled world because of the fall, right? Why, Why do bad things happen to good people? We live in a fallen world. But but sometimes bad stuff happens, it's just the situation, right? It may not be sin, it's just, it's just a situation, right? So something bad happens and it makes you sad. That's normal. It's, it's normal in moments to be sad because of the situation that you're walking in. Look, look at this text, uh, Psalm 34. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all of their troubles. What are troubles? Troubles are those situations, right? Troubles are those uh, situations we find ourselves in. And maybe we created the mess. Maybe we just fell in it. But, but look at verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. That's where he's close to. He's close to the broken heart. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. In other words, you don't have to pretend that you're not sad. You don't have to put on a happy face. Just be sad when you're sad. It's all right. Because when you're sad, God is close to you, right? He's very, very close to you. Now, one more box that we can put this in is seasons. Seasons. Some people get sad uh, in different seasons of life, right? There are seasons that we walk through that, that are sad, just like there are seasons that we walk through that are full of joy, right? Uh, but, but clinically, uh, sad actually stands for something. SAD stands for seasonal affective disorder. Did, did you know that? Have, I don't know if you've heard that before. Seasonal affective disorder. Literally, people get sad during a specific season. For me, it's winter. Like, like I, I hate it. If you can't play golf, I'm not interested in the weather at all, right? But, but, but you can't go outside. But a lot of people, by the way, get sad in the winter because you can't go outside. There's less sunshine, and, and it, it makes you sad, right? There are other seasons, like we're about to enter it. As soon as, soon as the NBA playoffs are over, we go into a TV drought, and, and there's no good sports on, right? And, and, and so there's, that's a season. But, but uh, there are serious seasons and there are, you know, make-believe seasons like I just named. But, but, but there are seasons of life that just bring sadness with them, right? And, and so you go to, back to Ecclesiastes because there's so much golden wisdom in this book. Let, let, let me show you another passage in that one, uh, chapter 3, for everything. Say everything. Say it like you mean everything. Say everything. For everything, there is a season. Do you know what that means? For everything, there is a season. 
a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to harvest. In other words, God has declared a time for you to be born and a time for you to die. Psalm 139 says that he has written your days down in a book, and in between being born and dying, you have some living to do, right? And that living, I have found, not only comes in a steady stream, it comes in seasons, and it comes in rhythms, right? And you have ups and you have downs. And quite honestly, you have downs because you have ups. And you have ups because you have downs. Look, look, look at what he goes on to say. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. There are times when we need, are sad and quite honestly, we need to be sad. And then there are times for us to laugh and there are times for us to dance and there are times for us to have fun. But just as there is a time and a season for everything, there are times and seasons and places for all of our emotions right? And it's appropriate. There, there are moments when, uh, you know, you wouldn't expect to hear sad songs at a wedding. That would be weird, right? You, but you wouldn't expect to hear circus music at a funeral either. And, and, and what we want to do, and here's the confession, is, is I'm just preaching to myself uh, uh, of nothing else, nothing else, nothing else. There are other things that I want, and other things that I desire, and other things that create disappointment in my life. And so now I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself when I say to you, and, and I'm preaching to you as well, okay, that, that what we want in life is we want to go from mountaintop to mountaintop experience. That's what we desire. Hebrew, Hebrews, uh, not Hebrews, Habakkuk 3 uh, says that he makes my feet like a hind feet right? Like the hind feet of, uh, of a deer. Chapter 3, verse 19, if you want to memorize that one, it's a good one to memorize. And, and it, that he makes us as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Now, here's what you got to know about deer. Listen, they, they don't jump from one mountaintop to the other. They have to go through the valleys to get to the next peak. And God has given us, his children, the ability to work through our emotions and to work through our seasons. Now, now when we see others who are sad, what's our instinct? I mentioned it a moment ago. It's not to say, let it out, right? It's okay. J just be sad. It's good for you. No, usually what we try to do in that moment is we try to cheer them up. Uh, that, that uh, Hey, don't be sad. It's okay, right? But what does the Bible tell us to do in, in in that moment. This may surprise you. Romans 12 says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. In other words, if you know someone who's in a rough time, who's going through a sad season, the right thing to do might not be to cheer them up. That might not be the right thing to do in that moment. It might be to sit with them in their sorrow. Now, by the way, behind this verse of scripture is an ancient Jewish practice called sitting Shiva. Write that down because you may have heard something else. Sitting Shiva, S-H-I-V-A, sitting Shiva. Uh, Shiva is the, is the Hebrew word for seven. It, it, it is a seven-day period of time where a loved one is buried. And, and so Shiva means seven. That means for seven days you sit with that person. For seven days. You don't go to any parties, right? You don't try to get them over their pain or over their grief. You sit with them. You just sit there and you listen. And you mourn with them and you weep with them. Weep with those who weep. And you let God heal them and refine their heart in that moment. You don't say to them, come on, get over this. So, uh, by the way, sometimes in life, there is no getting over that pain. There is no getting over that grief. Instead, you move through it. You don't get over it, right? And, and one of the hardest things to get through is a loss, right? Sadness, really, on, on, on every level is, a, is just loss on some scale, right? Think of a scale of one to whatever number you want to make, okay? Let's just make it a big one with lots and lots and lots of zeros. Where, where one is the loss of your keys, right? Or, or you misplaced your phone. And whatever the number is with all those zeros on the other end of the spectrum is the loss of a significant other, right? But where you land on that scale at any point, it's called sadness, right? It's loss. But, but the most intense is when you lose someone special to you. And there is a promise in the scripture about that as well. In fact, take a look at this and write this scripture down because you're going to need it. I promise you, you're going to need this scripture in your life at some point. First Thessalonians 4, we don't want you to grieve like other people who have no hope. We're the children of God, right? We have hope. 
Why? We have hope that when we die, we will be with God. And when we die, quite honestly, bigger than that, we will be with those who have already died. And so it's never goodbye forever. It's goodbye for now. But, but first of all, I want you to notice something in the Scripture. It doesn't say we don't have a reason to be sad. That is not what the Scripture says. It says we don't grieve like other people do. We grieve. We are sad, right? Funerals are not parties. They are times to mourn and to be sad. We have a reason to be sad. We don't have a reason to stay sad because we're the children of God, right? That when you're sad the right way, listen, write this down. When you are sad the right way, sadness won't define you. It won't define you. Listen, when you go through a grieving process, you will, as a child of God, come out the other side. So it's very important to know how to be sad. Or you may be blocking what God is actually trying to do in you while you go through your sadness. So so let's take a look at two things you need to do as a child of God when you're sad. Here's the first one. Hold on to your hope. You have hope. And if you have hope, then you can be sad and not be overwhelmed, okay? And so because you know what? There is a bright future ahead. You know there are good times coming again. So it's okay to be sad and go through this sadness. It's okay to be sad, but it's not okay for the sadness to define you. The right way to be sad, write this down. Here's a better sentence for you. The right way to be sad is to let it refine you, not define you. Let it refine you, but don't let it define you. It's not okay to let that sadness take hold of you and keep you stuck. That's when you know you're not being sad in the right way, when you are stuck, right? So, so let's go back to that passage again in 1 Thessalonians and pick up where we were in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, this is for the children of God, okay? This is not to the whole world. This is a letter to the children of God who have the Holy Spirit living within them. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep, you should circle that word, in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. He's talking about believers who have died, Sleep is the metaphor for believers who've died, okay? It's like they passed away. It means death is not the end. Why? So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Why is that? Why do we not grieve like everyone else? Because we have an ultimate future in Christ, right? If we have lost someone, we know that we will find them again. It's not the end of the story. We call it, we just celebrated it two weeks ago, seems like four months ago, but we just celebrated it resurrection, right? Resurrection. Look at what he says in verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Resurrection is the reason for our hope. The cross is very, very sad. Everyone was sad on that day. It's why we feel so, so strong about Good Friday being Good Friday, right? And not being a part of Easter weekend. Even when we're evaluating songs, how many times did Meredith and I sit down with the worship leaders and go, nope, hope, hope, hope. You can do this line, but not that line. Nope, you can't do that. And and so we're walking through the whole service saying, no, no, we, we, we don't want it to feel hopeful on Good Friday. Why? Because there's a season for everything. And the cross was very sad. And everyone was sad on that day. Everyone. And they spent three days being very, very sad. But on the third day, Jesus rose again, and he came back. In other words, when we have a funeral for a believer, it's sad. We cry, we weep, we mourn, but we don't lose hope. Why? Because there is a future that is promised. We will see them again. We will be with them and Jesus forever, right? When you have hope, the sadness begins to make a little bit of sense. When you have hope, it's easier to move through sadness. When you know there is an end, listen to me, when you know there is an end, and you know the end is better than the beginning, you can get through anything. You can. And and so in getting through it, God is working in you. He's working in you. He has not left you. Now, now here's the second thing to do. Let, Let God heal your heart. God wants to. You, you, You just have to cooperate and let him. Let him do the work that he wants to do on the inside of you. If you try to shut off your sadness or end it too soon, then you might be shorting yourself of what God has in store for you. 
right? That, that's why it's so important for us to weep with those who weep. When, when we try to cheer them up, we may be keeping them from the completion of God's work in their heart. We may be short-circuiting what God wants to do, right? And, and here's what we need to do with someone who's around us who has experienced loss. Verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with, the, with these words, right? Not get them over the hump, not cheer them up, but encourage them. Do you know what encourage means? To put courage in. You, you, you put courage in their heart. It, it, it means to give them what they need to get through it, not over it, right? What, what, what do you need to do with a broken heart? Or what can you do with a broken heart? Really, there's only three options, right? You, you can harden your heart and just be upset and never, ever love again. You, you, or you can leave it hurt, right? Put a chip on your shoulder and say, well, I guess I'll just always get hurt by everybody for the rest of my life. Or, or the third thing you can do with it is just keep it tender. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, we, we need to be tenderhearted towards one another, right? What does it mean to be tenderhearted? It means being willing to be hurt again, but not continuing to be hurt in, in, in this particular situation. And if you've lost someone close to you, you are a prime candidate to help someone else get through their grief if you stay tender-hearted. Follow me? If you stay tender-hearted. And this plays out in families in our, our church all the time. There are families in our church who have walked through all kinds of things. Now, remember, sadness will originate out of one of these three uh, boxes, right? And sometimes a situation turns into a season, right? That's true for many families in our church all of the time, quite honestly. And here's what I found about being a pastor, especially of so many people. It's never all good and it's never all bad. Never. There's never a moment where it's all good and there's never a moment where it's all bad. And you know what? That, th this church is just this macrocosm, right, of your microcosm. The same thing is true in your life. It's never all good or it's never all bad in your life. There's always some good things and there's always some bad things. I, I view them as railroad tracks that run parallel, right? And, and, and sometimes we're more on this track than we are on this track. Sometimes we're more on this track than we are on this track. But they're, they're always both playing out in our lives. But, but there, there's a family this morning that I want you to hear from who has experienced... A, a very traumatic loss in, in their lives, and their desire is to be an encouragement to you, okay? And, and this is their first time to speak publicly uh, about this, and so I, I want you to put your hands together and welcome Tyler and Madison Vining uh, to the stage, if you would. Many of our people know you, and many of our people don't know you. And so just take a couple minutes, if you will, and just back up almost five years ago. Uh, walk us through a little bit of what you walked through and tell us about your family. So in August 2017, uh, we had just had our fifth child. It was a beautiful little baby boy, and... Uh, at the time, I remember um, our daughter Harbor was just about to turn three next month. And she loved birthdays, and we always talked about how we were gonna celebrate her birthday. Mm. Later that month, August 26th, we were actually celebrating our other daughter's birthday story. She was turning six, and that night, just in the blink of an eye, we lost our daughter, Harbor, mm. in an accident at the pool. I remember getting the phone call. A and uh, I remember some of the conversations, and I remember some of those moments. I remember being in your home right after, and then several times following the following months. Talk, talk to us just for a minute about the community that, that surrounded you in those initial days? Well, 
that season of life is it's just unimaginable. It's it's the greatest the loss of a child is the greatest pain that any of us will ever experience. Your mind is trying to make sense of something that just doesn't make sense. And and you said a, a passage earlier, our days are numbered and, and God has this greater story. But how does this make sense? I can remember for months, we would be jaded whenever we heard positive messages up on stage. We would hear testimonies of people going through really difficult stuff. And you're on the edge of your seat and at the end of their story though, they got their miracle. Mm. And we couldn't relate because we prayed and prayed and we didn't get ours. Mm -hmm. um, I can remember finding this Bible verse though that really at the time it was just my only leg to stand on it. And it was Second Timothy 2.10 and it says, I'm willing to endure anything if it means it'll bring salvation to someone that God's chosen. And it might not make sense to me. You know, I can't see that there's this greater story, but I'm going to have faith that there is. And, and I'm going to endure this, and I'm willing to if there's a greater story. Mm. And there have been some. There, there, there have been some great stories that have come out of the last five years. And, you know, as a pastor, I, I, I meet a lot of our children in the church, and, and uh, some of them are beautiful, and, and right, and, uh, <laughs> but I kiss all of them, right, and, 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 and love all of them, but, but Harbor tr truly was one of the most beautiful children I'd ever met in my life, uh, full of personality and full of joy and, and just, just such an attractive human being. Uh, as, as you walked through, through that journey, Madison, share, share with us, if you will, some of the moments immediately following, and I don't know if you'll remember, you know what I'm saying? There's some PTSD that happens in, in moments like that. But I remember some of them. I remember leaving your house one time when I came to meet with the whole community group because the whole community group was there. Right, and so it was like a nuclear bomb went off in, in the middle of this community group. And, and I remember saying, "Hey, let me just come meet with the whole group." And we sat with the whole group in your living room. And one of the things I remember—I don't know if you'll remember this or not—but I, I remember several hours later getting my car to leave and thinking that that was one of the most healthy moments because we prayed and we cussed. And, 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 and those things wove like this together, right? In fact, I think some of us said the F word in a prayer. <laughs> and, 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 and if that makes you nervous, you've not experienced this kind of loss. And God was good with those prayers. I'm just telling you, as I, as I left, I thought, God, you're so good to let us be here today because that's where we are. And I remember praying for your family, praying for your group and praying for all those that were involved. But, but Madison, just share some of the moments where maybe you saw God's hand or a wink in, in the midst of that tragedy. Yeah. Um, the community piece that you asked about, I mean, our, our community group, they were there the day that as, as everything was unfolding, they were praying with our children in the grass. You know, they were there at the hospital. They were there um, they just canceled their lives completely for weeks, and they just showed up every single day. Um, and they're still here, but I can't look at them. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, that, that community, if you don't have community, you will need it. You, statistically, you'll never experience the loss of a child, but you will experience loss and sadness. And we always said, you know, how could anyone walk through this without that community? Um, it's very difficult to build, by the way, in the middle of a shipwreck. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Right. Be working on a community now. Make it a priority in life because you will have sadness, but you also will need to be the community for someone you know who's got sadness. Yeah. Um, but the, the stories, that, yeah, the stories about um, sometimes that we could feel God's nearness and goodness to us even at the height of 
the just horror, um, two things that come to mind specifically. The first is what a desire that I had on my heart was to have a necklace made of Harbor's fingerprint that I could have. And um, the funeral home was just having a really hard time getting a fingerprint that would work. And um, it was too late. We were running out of time and she had to be buried. And so I was just trying to find peace with not, not getting that. And um, a friend ran by Harbor's preschool to get her things. And brought, brought home, you know, her little nap mat and all her little stuff. And there was a packet. Um, it said, my name is Harbor and God made me special. And there was, you know, her favorite color and her eye color and her hair color. And the very last page, it said, no one has fingerprints like mine. And there was fingerprints all over it. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to use those um, to make that necklace. And it just, it was so good. It was I'm glad that I didn't get the fingerprints from the funeral home because I wouldn't have gotten to see how in the details and how specifically the Lord cared for me and for us and for the desire that we had. And there were so many things like that. Um, Something else is that the land that we live on, we had owned for many years and harbors run all over it. And, um, you know, we'd owned it for so many years, so we'd seen it through every season multiple times. We know the trees, we know the flowers, we know everything about it. Um, and never until Harbor died um, was it covered in these purple flowers that just came out of nowhere. They never were there before, and now they come back every year. And um, my my little two, you know, one was only 15 days old when, when she died, and the other one has been born since, but they bring me Harbor flowers all the time, and they... I mean, every day in the spring and summer, they run in the door. I brought you some harbor flowers. And it's just such a kindness that the Lord has been so specific to, to give to us. Yeah. Like he's winking at you, right? And that he's saying, I see you and I'm with you. And uh, I think he knows, you know what I'm saying? Not only what, what you're feeling what we feel when we're walking through sadness. Obviously, he stood next to the grave of of his son. But the hope that he knows can come, he he wants to share with us and wants to to give us. I was talking earlier about having an eternal perspective, right? And and, uh, one of the things that you you said when we had dinner in the fall uh, was thinking eternal, Right, and and I don't remember the exact illustration you used, Madison, but it was something like that. That uh, heaven was how we described where the dog went, you know, to children before today. Talk talk to us about an eternal perspective, and yeah, I think you know, all growing up and all until until this happened, you know, we don't. I didn't think about heaven every day. We didn't talk about heaven in our home every day. Heaven was just it came up when the dog died or when grandma died, you know, it's like, it's something we talk to children about and it's like just a story. Um, and when your child goes to heaven and it's, it's completely different. It's, you have a foot in the door already. And, um, it's something that you desperately seek to understand and feel close to. And so eternity just becomes just the way that you think every day, all day. And, um, something that we say is if it doesn't matter in eternity then it doesn't matter yeah like we all know we're supposed to live with eternity in our mind but we live in a culture where we're surrounded by people living for earthly things and and it's easy to get sucked into that but we just so intimately know that nothing here on earth will fill the hole that we have and like she said we already have a foot in the door to heaven and if it doesn't matter in eternity, in eternity, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Is there something either of you would say uh, that that you'd say, hey, I really would like to say this to this group of people that walking through this uh, taught you something or, or something you, you, you want them to hear or be honest about or, or, or anything else that you can think of that you'd like to just share? Yeah, um, 
there were so many things, like, as everything was just unfolding, like, even in the moments when it was unfolding, um, just verses that were just coming on our hearts, and they were verses mainly that we had memorized as children, Mm -hmm. and it's amazing how when those things are written on your heart, like, the Lord will put them on your mind when you need them, and so one of the biggest things is just be writing those verses on the hearts of your children now, because they are going to face sadness, and they need that armor. They need to have it. Um, and so not just even for, for all of us, but help help our children be eternity-minded. You know, we've had to walk our children through this. And, um, and yeah, um, another thing is just that, like Tyler was saying, you know, for years and even still now, like we would listen to worship songs or, or you know, sermons and <laughs> we're jaded a little bit, like, oh yeah, well that's so nice that you have this faith, you know, you haven't, you haven't been where we've been, and so it's hard, but, you know, on the way here, we were talking, and we were just like, you know, maybe there's someone in, in the, someone who's going to hear our story, and we get to be the people who are broken, that it's, they're maybe, they're less jaded when they hear a family who has been in the valley still say that God is good and that um, we trust him mm. and um, that we can endure anything because we're going to heaven. Like this is a blip. This is a mist. It's a vapor. Like this earthly life is so, so small. And we have read the back of the book and we know wh- where we're going. And so, um, yeah, if it can encourage someone just from where we stand, like God is good. Yeah. Yeah. Would you give them a hand and thank them for sharing? Before you, before you, before you guys step off, let, let me let me just say this, Addison. Hang on, I want you to see this. Two two things, okay? One, uh, Tyler and Madison Viney, okay. If you'll add them to your prayer list and and pray for their hearts through the next season of their lives, would you just raise your hand and say, yes, I'll do that. And if you were encouraged today by them being vulnerable and sharing some of their heart, would you raise their hand and let them just see it with their eyes? Okay. Thank you, guys. This is a process, right? It's a process. And and holding on to hope and letting God heal it, heal your heart are, are the steps. And here, here's the good news when you feel like that you can't hold on to hope, he's holding on to you. That, that uh, you're not just in his hand as a part of the body of Christ, you're, you're part of the body. You're one of his fingers, right? He, he, he's not going to drop you. And so if you don't like the way that that point is worded of hold on to hope, you say, I can't even hold on. I don't have any strength. Just just know you're being held on to. And, and let him heal your heart. And here's what you need to know. It doesn't happen all at once. And in some situations, it takes a few weeks. In some situations, it takes years and, and, and years and years. And some of you, quite honestly, can do this faster than others. That doesn't make you any better than, than the other, Right? But when we're sad, we, we want to get over it. But God can work in our hearts while we are sad. Sadness is not a block to the activity of God in your life. It's not. In fact, it can be a doorway to, to his activity in, in your life. And there are moments, and I, I, as I've prayed about this all week, one of the things that I didn't want to do is downplay this whole thing that, hey, you're just going to get over it. It, it. it comes in waves, right? And, and there are moments, where, there, there are moments, Madison, Tyler, you would agree, there, there are moments where it feels like you're in a tsunami. And, and the, the, the ship has just been crashed. And in that moment where the ship has just been crashed, you're overwhelmed. You don't know exactly what happened. You're floating. You're looking for something to grab onto and float on. And surrounding you are all kinds of parts of the memory of the shipwreck that just happened, right? And, and, and you're looking around, and, and the, the, it feels like the waves come every three seconds, and they're 100 feet tall. And, and as, you, as you move through it, there are moments where they feel like it's not every three seconds, it's every 10 seconds which actually feels like a wave of, of grace, right? 
Now I can catch my breath for a second in between each of those moments. And as time moves on, and it's different for everybody at every season, right? Now the waves aren't 100 feet tall, they're 50 feet tall, or they're 40 feet tall, and they're not every 10 seconds, they're, you know, every week or every few days or every month or whatever. Some of those moments you can see coming, like an anniversary or a holiday or, or what some of them you don't see coming, right? That, that's some of the most difficult moments, right? Mer- Meredith would say that about her, losing her dad, that they're, they're, you're just moving with a blue sky and a sunny uh, day and, and you didn't see the wave coming, right? And then the wave hits you and knocks you down and it's no less big and it's no less traumatic. In fact, sometimes it, it feels even at that moment cruel that it came out of nowhere. But there, there comes a moment where the waves are hitting you in the knees and in the waist on a regular basis, but they're not knocking you down. And they're not causing you to lose your breath at that moment. It, 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 it's something that, that you live with. And sometimes the loss of a loved one is like the loss of a limb. You, you don't get over it. It doesn't grow back. You learn to live with it, right? You, you, you learn to move on. And when you experience the full range of emotions and the full weight of your feelings, you can reflect on them and, and, and refine them and find out what is God up to now in, in this moment. So, so what do you do with this, right? Well, what do you do with these boxes? Well, if this is the box you're in, is, is there a sin that you need to ask for forgiveness for? Is there somebody who has sinned against you that you need to forgive? Is there a situation in your life that you need to address, right? This is a situation. We have to address this. We have to deal with it. And is this a season that you're going through? In a season for a season, right? And if you trust God in the middle of your emotions, it doesn't mean that you have control over them. It doesn't. It means that you stay humble through them and you let him work. The series is going to get better from here, by the way. Happy is next week, okay? So, <laughs> how, to, how to be happy. But today I want you to see that you, you, you can sinfully overreact and you can sinfully underreact, okay? Let, let, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads and Close your eyes and open your hearts. Would you remember as we get ready to pray that God says he'll make our feet like the feet of a deer, which means that we can go up and down valleys and and mountains. And, And sometimes it's just too steep. And in his grace, he, he, he wants to give us a bridge over that steep climb. And that bridge is a thing called lament. Lament. In fact, there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. And, and what lament means in English is it's just an honest cry to God. It's an honest cry to God from your hurt. And that honest cry to God in your hurt can be a bridge over some very steep places in your life. As you walk the path of lament, I want you to envision a bridge. There's planks that are being laid on the bridge while you're walking on it, one in front of the other, right? And the three main planks on the bridge of lament are turn to God, turn to Him. Don't turn away from him in this moment. Actually turn to him. Turn to him and face him. That's step number one. Just turn to him. Look at him. The, the, the second plank is tell him. Tell him. Tell him what? Tell him your complaint. Tell him your frustration. Tell him your sadness. Tell him your pain. Tell, tell him your complaint, and then also tell him your request. What, what do you need him to do? What do you want him to do? And, and then the, the last plank on that bridge is trust him. Trust him. Preach to yourself. Remind him of times he was faithful. Remind yourself of times that he has been faithful in the past. And then walk through that bridge again and again and again. It's just three planks. You go get the one behind you and bring it out in front of you and and then get the one behind you and bring it out in front of you. Turn to God. 
tell God both your complaint and your request, and then trust God. Turn to God, tell God, trust God. Would you just do that right now? Would you just do that? Maybe you just want to put your arm around your spouse or a child or somebody and just at your campus, just voice a prayer, okay? Just maybe you just want to do it all on your own. But turn to God. He loves you and he cares for you. Imagine the grief that you feel for your children when they're hurting. That's a snapshot of your heavenly father and his heart for you. Turn to him and tell him. He can handle all of it. Just, just tell him. Make your complaint. He can handle that. He's on the real page of life. He's going to meet you right on the real page. He won't meet you on a pretend page. He will only meet you on the real page. So be real. Tell him your complaint. And then tell him what you need. Make your request known. Now trust him. Trust him, trust him, trust him. Recount some of the moments he's been so good to you in your heart and in your mind. Testify about some of the things that he's actually doing today that are really good. God, help us to grow in our knowledge of you and not just our doing, but our being. We want to be your kids with your heart and, and your feelings. And I pray today that you would minister all over our church, across all of the campuses in Tulsa, across uh, into the Middle East, and those watching online. I just pray supernaturally you're ministering life into your kids. Father, give us hope. We have it. We have it. We have it. We have it in Jesus. Remind us of that hope today. And may it encourage us and may we walk in it and on it and through it. In Jesus' name we pray and together we all say amen. And would you thank the goodness of God today for ministering uh, to us.